Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. I'm Zach. Am I Zach? <laughs> Am I still Zach? I hope so. Did you lose like uh, your your contact with reality there for a second? <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, Adam. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, October 6th, and for people who don't know uh it's been a month uh of news time it has been a week (laughs) it really has only been a week so uh yes when the aliens go back and look for the records of this uh horror time um this this sure was a a period of time (laughs) yeah um people people assume time is linear and i know based on math that more or less, that's true until we get to edge cases that you and I aren't really uh, involved in. We can make assumptions for our use case that time is linear, but sure mm. don't feel like that. Yeah, it, 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 the speed of, of time seems to accelerate and decelerate, and God knows. I, I, okay, <laughs> we're getting off track here. We this didn't nothing even to do start with our... on track. No, this is nothing to do with our theme. This how weird the world is right now. It's just uh, I, I feel that I feel like it's an elephant in the room. That hey guys, we know that this was six days ago uh, that we're recording this, and I assume that at this point there's like woolly mammoths roaming the earth, and you're listening <laughs> to this in like your dune buggy, uh, which is cool and dope, and I bet your hat looks sweet, but. Let us take you back to the simpler times, uh, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about some stories that are uh, kind of interesting. This pick. Uh, this comes to us from Patreon supporter Saad Althani, and uh, their specific request was, "Hey, can you do an episode about stories that have like good positive representation in X Men?" And mm. we had to think on that one because there's less than you'd want. Well, it's interesting because I think it's a fantastic pitch for an idea for uh, an episode theme because we did have to think about it. You know, we think about X-Men being this uh, this metaphor for so many things um, and, and so many marginalized groups. And yet when you get into the actual meat of who makes X-Men and who are the X-Men, those marginalized uh, groups and how they're being represented and who's being hired to <laughs> to uh, create those groups um, have a tendency not to be that diverse. Um, yeah, so the stories we're doing today have uh, at least uh, a modicum of that either in front of the screen or, or behind the scenes. And even even then, a lot of this is due to the mutant metaphor, as you say, being incredibly broad, essentially... If you are discriminated against for any possible reason, you can you can pull something out of the mutant metaphor. Whether it's whether it's silly white boys like you and me, Adam, who are like, well, people made fun of me for wearing glasses once. 
uh, to people with real problems. Right. Yeah. I think whether, you know, uh, if, if there's systemic, uh, systemic, um, you know, problems that exist that rig the the world against you i i think that the mutant metaphor it serves greatly i'd say that the the downside is what you were referring to is that there is a real lack of intersectionality uh Mm. in this metaphor it's you are a mutant period and you're probably a cis straight white uh human passing mutant (laughs) By by the odds of this series starting in the 60s. Uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting how, like, so much of, I think, what has attracted uh, different groups of people to this book over the decades, a great deal of it is subtext, you know? I mean, and there's there's been very good arguments that um, things about sexuality or race have been made textual throughout... Um, the the years but at the same time you know most people know x-men from a 16 year run that was done by a white man um with mostly white men drawing the book um you know the book was started with an all almost all male team by two male creators and it's been interesting how it's really taken up until about now for that to shift and even in any way. even then even then it's gotten better it's not at uh the point where you know it needs to be it's not a, it's not at parody no no i wouldn't suggest that at all i'm just suggesting that we're we're actually seeing some there's baby uh, steps representation and some changes and some steps in ways that have uh given opportunity and talent uh, opportunity to talent that can tell stories in ways that I think are going to be incredibly engaging over the coming years. Um, now we just said all that and yet we did pick, uh, a, a white male writer and, uh, a white male art team, uh, not, not entirely, but, um, to, to start off here, but I think it's for a good reason. So it is. why don't you tell them what we're starting off here? With? So the first, the first uh, set of stories we're going to talk about is all new X Men number nine through number fourteen. Uh, this is written by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, pencils by Stuart Immonen, inks by Wade von Grabager, uh, and colors by Marte Gracia and Rain Barrero. Uh, this is interesting. So this is. Almost like three separate stories with one like overarching thing connecting all of them, uh, which makes it really cool to read because this is a this is a specific era. This is right as the all new X Men were back from the past, just hanging mm-hmm. out, being the original five. Uh, yep. Kate Pride uh, has just become their their professor, mm-hmm. which is interesting uh cyclops uh you know regular good cyclops uh he's become a he's become a mutant revolutionary uh which i want i want to throw something out here because people forget this cyclops being like an evil mutant was all (laughs) marketing in the books 
explicitly argue against it and argue for his position. And there's a reason why right after this arc, pretty much, Bendis is like, yeah, and now all of my kids are going to live with Cyclops. That's pretty much what happens. Uncanny had been running before this for uh, just a few for issues. like three issues, though. Just yeah, very very short, and then all new starts. But this is where those books really start to intersect as the uh, Uncanny team offers uh, membership to the O Five Angel uh, from the past does take him up on that offer along with uh, the Cuckoos. Um, but this is probably best known as that era, that, that, that arc where Professor Kitty um, becomes Professor Kitty and is teaching the O5 on their, their, their ventures and their training. And in the background of all of this um, is Mystique basically <laughs> bank robbing enough so that she can buy Madripoor. Which is a plot that never goes anywhere. <laughs> It's it weird was, that Bendis is a great a idea. It's a great idea, and Bendis don't pay that off at all. Not this arc's fault. That's later Bendis's fault. Yes. I mean, I do think that that gets a little bit more airtime and uncanny, um, mm. especially with the uh, the mutant growth, growth hormone and Dazzler. But again, a lot of what Bendis does in these books, unfortunately, is build things up and then end them very suddenly and very quickly so that it's not super satisfying. And we've talked about different arcs on that. Um, this particular thing, though, I think is is pretty well executed. Um from a story vantage point, we can we can nitpick some things here in a second, but um, I do want to get to the part about why we chose this arc. Oh, because it has the best page that Brian Michael Bendis wrote of X-Men. This is in direct response um, to Rick Remender's Uncanny Avengers, um, which... We're going to have to deal we, with that in a at some point. We we have talked about Remender's Uncanny Avengers on the show before. But not um, the really bad part of it. We talked no. about the one part we liked. Yeah, we talked about... Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Avenge the Earth. Called? Avenge the Earth, thank you. Which we loved. Um, but that's really the best part of the book. There are large sections of that book which are just downright just awful. And one of the things that happens early in that run is this infamous moment that got picked on by critics everywhere, readers everywhere, which was Havoc's um, M-word speech, So, which is reprinted as part of this issue as well. I want to give a little bit of context for this uh, because it's something that's been a bit lost to time. Mm -hmm. Uncanny Avengers was the big relaunch out of Avengers versus X-Men. It wasn't Hickman's Avengers. It wasn't Bendis's uh, all new stuff. The big book was supposed to be uncanny Avengers. And you know that because that's the book they had John Cassidy draw. Mm -hmm. Um, It's supposed to be this big thing. And it gets lost in the shuffle because, one, the Hickman Adventures was really good and the Bendis X-Men was interesting. Where this, by issue four, has a big thud uh, of this the mission statement for this team. It has Alex yeah. Summers who says, and I'm, I'm going to quote, quote him on this because I think it's a big comparison. In fact, I think... 
I see the very word mutant as divisive, old thinking that serves to further separate us from our fellow man. We are all humans of one tribe. We are defined by our choices, not by the makeup of our genes. So please don't call us mutants. The M word represents everything I hate. When a reporter then asks, well, if you don't want to be called mutant, what should we call you? And he says, how about Alex? And he's looking Oof. right at the camera with like a, yeah, I just solved racism. And that's not how it works, Rick. Um, there's a really good piece that on Comics Alliance that editor-in-chief Andrew Wheeler uh, wrote that was refuting it from the perspective of a queer man saying, hold on. Just saying, oh, we're all the same. Let's not worry about labels or all this stuff. And it got a lot of traction, and Rick Remender did tell people if they didn't like it to drown themselves in hobo piss, uh, which didn't help the situation. And it's it's such an interesting um, – I, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that editorial took a step back and let Brian Michael Bendis essentially use Kitty Pride uh, in the last issue of this arc to talk about how Kitty is both a mutant. She's both Jewish. She acknowledges that she is um, what you know she describes as passing in both of those um, uh, criteria, and. Then she talks about how important it is that she wants people to know both of those things. And her her quote, which I absolutely love, is I tell people because, hey, if we're going to have a problem with it, I'd like to know. And they do reprint Remender's page at the rear of the book by the by the letters page. But my goodness, what a sound, uh, a, a sounding rebuttal to a, a very ill thought out piece of writing from Mr. Remender. It's, it's interesting because not to say that everything that's on the page is a one-to-one representation of the thoughts and feelings of a writer. That's, that would be a misrepresentation of things. However, both this and Havoc's speech in Uncanny Avengers feel very much like mission statements from their writer that they are using the character to give a speech to dictate onto the page. This Mm -hmm. is in this case, this is Bendis who is Jewish saying, look like I get it. I, I may not get all of it, but I understand enough to know that my identity is important and it should be celebrated and not like hidden away and pretending I'm just like everyone else. That's ridiculous. Right. And I I think Remender. Yeah. (laughs) We're not talking about that specific story, but it's impossible not to when you're when this is the crux of this entire arc because they they meet the uncanny Avengers in this arc. And there's a nice moment with Scott and Havoc. But the bigger thing is this happens right afterwards and all of the all new X-Men are like, wait, they don't want us to be mutants. That's right. That's dumb. We're mutants. Yeah, I think uh, the the one thing that Beast says is, "Wait a minute, mutant is a derogatory term in this timeline. Like, what are we talking about here?" Um, it's also paired by Gene picking up for the first time on what happened um, with Decimation 
on M Day, mm-hmm. and they are just like horrified that Scarlet Witch is like walking around and on and on an Avengers team. Well, because you have um, to remember, this is pre Sentinels. These right. guys get pulled from X Men Eight, and the Sentinels mm-hmm. don't show up for another four issues. Right. So and this, this is this, this arc is them... begins with them training against uh, Danger Room Sentinels. Where they and straight th- up say they're like. Wait, they built robots just to kill us specifically? (laughs) That's messed up. Y'all, y'all, are you sure? Are you are you sure that Cyclops guy isn't right? Because he seems to be making some valid points here. I I think the the interesting dynamics of this are that the O5 are back and learning that the world does absolutely hate and fear them, and that maybe, just maybe. Uh, that those, their older versions um, who are still alive in this part of the story do have a good point. Um, <laughs> and they've, they've, they're doing some huge adjustments. Now, I know we said that the Mystique buys Madripoor thing, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't add up to much later. But in its infancy, infancy here, I think it's an interesting idea because she poses it as sort of a like, let's steal all the money we can and live happily ever after on a beach. But Lady Madripoor, basically, uh, Lady Madripoor, Lady Mastermind is like, wait a minute, this is too much money. What are we doing with all of this? And this idea that Mystique doesn't care about the future of mutants also gets refuted um, because what she's talking about is basically creating another island utopia by buying Madripoor. Um, yes. So there's there's these interesting storylines that Bendis is playing with here, and I do think this is one of the best arcs of the book because it allows for all of this stuff to, to play around uh, in, in with this scenario. And not for nothing, this book is gorgeous. Oh, we didn't even talk about the art. We, it's Stuart Eminen and Wade von Grabager and Marte Gracia, who is killing it on colors. Like, there is a... It's not that Rain Barreto is doing a bad job on colors, but there is a noticeable step up when Gracia's on the book, because he takes about two issues off in the middle of this. Right. But it is interesting that that his... Um, I, I had forgotten that he was the colorist back on these, but the color work is so striking. Um, and, you know, obviously we just sung his praises recently on our uh, house of uh, X powers of 10 episode, but my goodness, it's even, even rain's work is it's still, it's outstanding. Oh, it's There's a great. color theme to this book that is very, very powerful and strong and goes very well with Eminem and, and Von Grabacher's, um work. So beautiful artwork, um, I think it's it's a really interesting uh, story that that does what bringing the O five back should do, yes. which is you know like pull the strings and question Beast and you know question the timeline in in ways that are really interesting. Um, and at the same time, it's this really interesting artifact from a time where you have two Marvel writers that are you know they're bumping heads. And that's not something you see often, you know, not not directly fighting in their books, which is kind right? of beautiful. That and come I, out I like don't, within a similar time frame. Like you might have somebody rebut something that happened like, I don't know, decade ago. Right. Yeah. But this was like, oh, wait, that was last month. 
That was a couple months ago, and here's this. It's very interesting to see, and I don't, I don't speculate on Brian and Rick's relationship because I don't. No know idea them. what that is. I don't no. particularly care. But Brian Michael Bendis has never told me to drown in hobo piss, so. Yes, thank God for the for small favors, right? Um, I Should guess we there's... rank this story? This one, yeah. this one's got good moments. It's not perfect, uh, but I like it. I like it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm on record of enjoying this uh, this book quite a bit when it came Adam, out. Adam, our, our our podcast is named Battle of the Atom. Uh, so it, there you go. We, we're on record pudding. of at least enjoying it somewhat. <laughs> well, let's let's put these stories on our big old list. Are you talking about our incredibly large list of 420 hashtag blaze it stories? Uh, <laughs> ranking all of the X-Men from best to worst, starting with number one, House of X powers of 10, uh, number 100 on our list, uh, which is the Inferno arc of X-Men and X-Factor, uh, number 200 on our list. Which is Old Man Logan, Glob Loves, Man Kills. Number 300 on our list, which is the Jim Lee-ish uh, Mojo arc from his adjectiveless X-Men. 400 is the X-Men animation special. And 420 is the Draco, which we should all just roll up and smoke because it's a bad one. <laughs> well, we, uh, we do have uh, the first arc of all new X-Men all the way up at 41. And we have um, all new X-Men 37, which is the standalone issue um, with, with White Queen training Jean um, that's done by Mike Del Mundo. That's at 102. So I think we're, I, I'm going to say we're in between there. I think? would I would say we are in between there, but I do really like this a lot. Like I think mm-hmm. it's I think this is a a few steps above 102. I think this is stronger than like at 75 we have Age of X Man Next Gen, a story that I enjoy a lot. Um, yeah, I would agree. Actually, um, very comparable. Number 62 is X Men Season One. How do you feel about it compared to this? I like this a little bit more. I I, I think there's. I mean, I love season one because it's such a terrific introduction to the uh, Silver Age, and it, it it serves as a really good substitute for Silver Age in many ways. Yes. Um, but this is doing something that is new, and 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 that's you know it's fun. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So I think this is better than season one. Um, is it better than Excalibur 41 to 47, the righteous return of, you know, who, um, I don't know. I mean, that, that is that absolutely gorgeous Alan Davis artwork, which, um, you know, I think Stuart Eminem is, is definitely toe to toe with Alan Davis in his prime, you know, Stuart, Stuart Eminem is, yeah, he's real, real darn good at the, at the arts. He is. He's he's absolutely doing an amazing job. Um, well, here's here's another interesting comparison. Uh, we've got Mutant Genesis at fifty two, but then we also have Avenge the Earth at fifty, um, which we just you know spent some time. I like this better than Avenge the Earth. I just re- I at the, <laughs> at the start of the bad times, at the start of lockdown, I did reread all of Uncanny Avengers. Mm-hmm. 
and all of actually i reread all of uncanny x-force and i said well let's keep going then i remembered no 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 one of these is good um (laughs) i'm gonna say i don't know if i would go higher than 46 which is the uncanny x-men teen titans crossover i just think that that probably has i don't know that that's just such an outstanding standalone book um I think, but I might, I might put it ahead of X Club, um, which at, is at forty-seven. That's at forty-seven. At forty-eight is Astonishing X Men Torn, the mm-hmm. third arc of the Weed and Cassidy run. Yes, I think I like this better than Torn. I think I like X Club better, but it's close. Like we're we're right there. I, I would give the edge to all new, if only because of the art. I mean, the the that's true. It's not that X Club has real bad good art. art. But my God, this is a gorgeous book. So I, I would put this at 47. All right. This can be number 47. Uh, all new X-Men. Uh, that arc. The one. All new X-Men. The one with Kitty's speech. Yes. And uh, it's great to have, you know, Kitty speeches every once Kitty, in a while. Kitty, Kitty's got to give another good speech. As long as. As long as she's not using any slurs, we're good. <laughs> right. She's she's right. gotta we, avoid that. Uh, well, she, you know, she was it's, a, kid, a little little kid sometimes. It's been making these things, but it's been like forty years since she's mm-hmm. done that. So I feel like she's learned. Yeah. Uh, yep, but yep, yep. Woof. Let's talk about <laughs> something else. Let's talk well, about. Let's, yeah. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Generation X. Ah, Christina Strain's Generation X? The very same. Uh, Christina Strain, friend of the show. Uh, If you haven't checked out our interview with her back when this series ended, it's a great one, real early in the run of the show. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you haven't checked out the podcast that was before this podcast called Legion Quest, where me and Matt Sibley watched the Generation X movie with Christina Strain and then talked about about it. Um. (laughs) It's the best part of Legion Quest. Uh, so go check that out, maybe, if you want. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about her Generation X run. It was a shorter run than I would have liked. It was during the... Was it... What was this What was this era called with the X's Resu- in the corners? Res- Resurrection. Resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resurrection. Resurrection. That part doesn't work very well. Um, We're going to talk about issues six and seven. Uh, This is by Christina Strain uh, with art by Eric Coda and uh, Felipe Sobrero on colors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And Eric Coda is filling in for Amilcar uh, Pina, who was the the series regular artist. Hey, if you Um, like Amilcar Pina, by the Pina, by the if you like Amalcar Pena, by the way, uh, he's got a book coming out with Ryan Caddy uh, about about the musical artist Poppy. No way. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. You oh should my check God. that out. That sounds uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, by Z2. Uh, here's the thing. Um, if, if our interview with uh, Teeny did not tell you, I don't know nothing about uh, Lady Pop Stars. Oh, you you would like Poppy. It's it's like top forty pop music m- merged with like death metal. I, it okay, is a lot so of fun. that that second part did, <laughs> did. Trust me, you will get a kick out of it. It is really fun. Her her full length record is a lot of fun. Well, um, maybe maybe I'll. Uh... 
take a listen. It's not like a super long record or anything like that, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. And she did put out a um, uh, an extended version of the record with a couple extra songs on it, um, which I just listened to. It's it's a good time um, if you you know just want to like headbang in your car. Um, I definitely wanted to talk about this particular arc because, um, it is despite the fact that Coda is filling in and I like Coda's art. I know that I think you maybe said you weren't such a fan of it. I am not, I'm not a personal fan of Coda's art, uh, generation X specifically. That's okay. Um, however, this does, uh, center around a trio of characters. Um, we're all familiar with everybody's, um, very you know, malevolent, <laughs> uh, psychic powered mutant Quentin choir. But, um, this was a real cool arc that got to feature a very genuine relationship, but, uh, between a gay couple, uh, written by a woman and it's Benjamin deeds and Nathaniel Carver, yeah, um, hindsight Morph and Morph. And hindsight, um, which I love that they call him Morph. I, they don't, I don't know if they did that during Bendis's run. They didn't. Uh, it came. Yeah. It came up in Strange Run, I believe. No, wait. Maybe it came up in the in that one focus issue he had. I'd have to see. They didn't. They called him. They called him Benjamin Deeds most of the time. Um, right. But it's interesting because you know you say there's a romantic relationship and there is definitely attraction between Morph and Hindsight. It's a big part of it, and another big part is that they are. Uh, both shy teenagers and uh, don't fully act on their emotions yet. But you also get an honest-to-goodness, like, friendship between Quentin Quire and his roommate, Morph, mm-hmm. uh, who he is. Quentin Quire is a piece of garbage and is dragging. <laughs> he is. Love him to death. He is trash. <laughs> he's He's ruining Morph's life. He is. He's dragging him out every night to karaoke and to parties. And um, this this two uh, issue arc is a lot of fun. It it takes place at Cade Kilgore has a basically a supervillain weapon auction, um, and they they have to stop a vial of nano sentinels from getting um, auctioned off to Fenris. They have to steal it from Fenris after Fenris wins that auction and Fenris i is I of course think, the weird incest twins that are nazis right which strain does such a great job of just like laying it all out there this is why this is so gross and weird and like she she lays the continuity out there in such an amusing way um i just think strain has such a great handle over these characters um quentin is so quentin um, you, you fall in love with Benjamin and, and Nathaniel and, you know, you're like, oh my God, you know, you just want them to, to like admit that they got a little thing for each other. And you're uh, it's for fun the whole time. that, it, that they, uh, this also features a really great, and I, God, I, this is one thing that I do miss, uh, especially from this book is the, 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 the burgeoning relationship between Jubilee and Chamber. Um, which just kind of gets abandoned, um, especially when Rosenberg jumps on the book, which well, Rosenberg me... has Rosenberg to his credit has Chamber like taking care of Jubilee's baby. Yes, Chamber's taking he... care of Shogo. Yes, because Jubilee has disappeared. Dies. Yeah, it's just 
I just miss that relationship. And I, I hope that they like, I don't know what, what the future is in Dawn of X, but it would be great to see them back together at some point. I just, I, I love this. It has such great humor and lightness to it. And it's a fun adventure. Um, I'm talking a lot. What do you think about this? I like, I like the character moments in this. I think, Strain has a real strong grasp on these three boys uh, and additionally has a really good grasp of their individual relationships to each other, mm-hmm. which is which is a tough thing because you're writing a straight queer friendship uh, between Quentin and a reluctant morph. Mm-hmm. you're you're writing a romantic attraction between Morph and Hindsight, and you're writing antagonism between Hindsight and Kid Omega, which makes for a really good dynamic as all of those different angles play off of each other. Strain has a great, great amount of skill with that, as well as the dialogue. I think the plotting on this issue is a little weak, uh, and I, I think that's, if I have a criticism of Generation X as a whole, I think the plotting is not all the way there. Uh but I love the character moments, and for a lot of that run, that's enough for me. I think um, Strain's uh, career as a TV writer definitely shows off in these two issues. You know, oh yeah, you can you can see these characters kind of going off on this adventure, and this being kind of a standalone episode of you know Generation X, the TV show. Absolutely, um, it's it's a lot, a lot of fun. There's some villain cameos. Um, it, I don't know. And I, I, I know that you're not a, a huge fan of Coda's art, but, um, I think it serves this story very well. It's kind of loose and cartoony and still maintains. Amilcar has that, that very interesting style of, of exaggerated perspective and Coda's doing a pretty good job of that in a lot of places. It's definitely not the same art style, but it's kind of in the same camera angle universe, if you will. I I hear you, and I don't think you're wrong. I just don't like it. I don't, that's okay. It's it's, <laughs> it's not, not aesthetically okay. pleasing to me. That's okay. I I can see why. I know that that um, Amilcar's um, experienced you know similar reactions from some people who. Just oh like, yeah, can't... like if someone doesn't like his art, I'm like, I disagree. But I understand. Right, because I, I both of them are working like so outside of what you might consider like a mainstream uh, big two house style that, you know, you kind of get it. Um, but I don't know. I enjoy it. I love these two issues. Um, oh, yeah. I agree. They're, they're not like you know, the whole thing with like Monet never really paid off for me um, in these issues. But at the same time. I understood why Strain was doing it, and uh, I I appreciate the construction of these two issues very, very well. So where should we put these on the list? So here's where I'm looking, and I want you to keep an open mind about this. Yeah. At 201, we have Old Man Logan, Glob Loves, Man Kills. Uh, another story from this era. Mm-hmm. One that I have a bit more affection for. I think Glob Loves Man Kills is saying more, especially given that it's it's more of a commentary on on sort of online culture and radicalization. Um, so I would give the edge there to uh, to Old Man Logan, but I, I think we're 
we're starting to be in the same in the the, the right era um in the uh, era the right area of the list well because i think at 205 uh x-men annual number one i i think i like this better than that that that's a well-constructed but kind of throwaway annual where mm-hmm. this this is more memorable i would agree um i don't think i would put it i would put it above okay here's what i'm gonna say i'm listening um below old man below glove loves man kills is uh spider-man perceptions um, which I like more than this. Um, I also like the original Captain America's Secret Empire more than this, just because I feel like it has more um, more to offer in terms of historical uh, commentary, if you will. But I might give it... What do you think about it against 204, which is Gambit Volume 1? I ain't got no love for Rim of the Bobo. I think Gambit's fine. I like this one better. All right. This is our new 204, which is Generation X... Volume two, six and seven, which is fun. Check it out. It is fun. Um, so we've talked about sort of a, you know, the voice of the writer coming through and talking about their identity. We've talked about um, characters who, you know, are diversifying the representation. Um, I think we should talk about one more that is i know for me a personal fave uh i suspect it might be for you as well hey yeah um adam yes adam adam what's yes hold on do you hear that matter do you hear that it's an x-man update x-man update i thought we were done with those there's no we are never done with an x-man update um because we're talking about age of x-man prison rx written by friend of the show vide ala uh with pencils by herman peralta uh and then matt horick does a little bit of an assist there at the end uh also friend of the show uh, and Michael Spicer does the colors on this one. I love this book. It's a good book, Adam. It's a good book. Let's start with the let's start with the art uh, because I like it a lot. I have mm-hmm. I have a Herman Peralta page right over here. I've got two Matt Horick commissions right over here. Um, so I'm a fan of both of these artists. I mm-hmm. think we we talked on a. Uh, our C2E2 episode of the last Comic-Con ever uh, to Horik about, jeez, man, about specifically how he was able to emulate style so well, not just on this book, but on some others, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great skill of his. Uh, but Herman Peralta, oh my, he just, he constantly knocks it out of the park. I am in love with his art. There's a page right near the beginning because this is this is a story, by the way, we should probably tell people. Yeah, let's just give a quick synopsis of what this is about. It's in the Age of X. So X-Man. No, the Age of X-Man. Oh, excuse me. Age of X-Man. X-Man has created this alternate universe in which uh, no one is allowed to have relationships. And there is a prison inside of this Age of X. And um, Bishop. Um, Danny Moonstar, Polaris, Gabby, and Beast are our protagonists here. They're all in this prison with their warden, who appears to be Forge. 
Forge. Yeah, Forge is here. Yep. Uh, you were saying. Bishop is our point of view character for this entire book. It's it's his story. He was he was the lead in. He used to be on the X Men, the Marvelous X Men, uh, and then got thrown into this prison because him and Jean Grey were making out a lot, and uh, the Sex Police did not like that. Nope. Nope. Uh, if you want more background on this book, we talked to Vita about it back when this was coming out, and they're great. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a page very soon into this where Bishop is alone in his cell for the first time. And it's one of the most haunting things I've seen in a comic. And you can you can tell how much of the writer is coming through. Because Vita, for those of you who don't know, is proudly a black and Latinx non-binary creator. They're great. Much love for Vita. And if you've been paying attention to anything going on in the world, especially, I, I say the world, of anything going on in America, you know about the disproportionate sentencing and the school-to-prison pipeline and everything that impacts specifically the black and Latinx communities. So to have a, to have a black writer, a writer who will be the, the first black writer on an ongoing X-Men comic, which is happening in 2020, which seems like so happy that Vita's doing uh new mutants and children of the atom. It's about dang time. Uh, heck to the, yeah. Um, this is this is a mission statement um it just it's such an outstanding commentary on on america you know what i mean like i i it it seems dumb to say like because you know you're talking about a, a superhero book but it is you know world outside our window is supposed to be marvel and you know, I'm sorry, but a lot of times superhero comics fail in that regard because to truly talk about what it is to live in our world, in our society, it doesn't line up with what superheroes generally represent and, and how that world can operate. But especially within the age of X-Men, we get this opportunity here to really explore something that is um, a very unique take that is simultaneously so grounded in the real but at the same time also is a really good commentary on the fact that each of these characters is distanced from not only the quote-unquote outside world but also what their reality even means anymore by being in this prison um because uh, the prison gaslighting them right they're their memories are being rewritten. They are being told who they are and what they are as part of this system. And to have that all coalesce in this giant prison riot, which becomes sort of like an existential battle against reality at the same time. It's very, very cool. Um, I just think it's extremely intelligent. I love the pitch for the book. And as you were saying, Herman Peralta's artwork, we complimented it so much um, in past episodes, especially when we talked about his cable arc. But 
the the uh the acting of the characters it is we compliment um you know a lot of of the marvel artists who work on the the newer books but Peralta is taking the facial expressions and the body language to a completely different level in this book where you really get a sense of inner monologue that is not part of necessarily the the dialogue or a thought balloon. It's doing its own thing in a way that is very unique to this book. It absolutely is. I mean, I think the, I think this book is special. I mean, the part of, about this being them trying to find identity is so representative of the real world prison experience that a lot of people go through. I think it's very interesting the conversations this book has about identity and how prison rips down your identity, makes you a number, makes you feel like you are not worthy of anything. I know that from a personal standpoint, I've had close family members who have spent significant stints in prison and seeing the impact that that had not just on them, but then on their, on their close loved ones, seeing them like that and seeing the way that people drastically changed because a system was forcing them to conform into this one mold of what we tell you to be and nothing more and nothing less. Mm. It's staggering how well this book addresses that presents that and it, it doesn't preach it. It lets you know right away because you care about these characters, obviously this is horrific, this is wrong, and something needs to happen. You get you get some great moments of them all coming together and deciding to rebel against the idea of standing alone and instead join and become this weird team. You get you get parts where Bishop is even able to talk to the warden Forge and say you think you're helping, but you know this isn't right. You mm. know what this is doing to us. And Forge retains enough of himself to be the be a hero at the end and help facilitate everyone escaping. It's a it's a really well done book from an emotional standpoint. Vita's one of the few writers to get Polaris right. <laughs> like yeah. ever yeah uh and that that happens here while addressing even even while polaris is a very heightened version of herself and her uh the way that people have depicted her mental illness in the past it really works well here because vita is fighting against that and refuting that and saying people have used this to keep her imprisoned Mm-hmm. And that, that's so wrong. It's great. I'm excited that Vita gets to play with especially uh, Gabby Kenny and uh, Danny Moonstar in their upcoming New Mutants run. I'm so excited about that. Uh, this is a good book, and I like it. I I like it, too. And uh, I really liked the Marauders issue that just came out. Oh, um, the, one, the one that gets Storm right? 
the one that real we talk a lot about storm and storm how difficult it, it seems for uh writers to to really get storm vita gets storm so check out that uh that's marauders chapter or 13 the, x of 10, Ten of, swords, of swords chapter five, chapter five marauders, marauders number 13. 13 okay great anyway love this book uh where's it gonna go on our big list zach okay so we talked about it earlier in the episode but we have uh, Next Gen from Age of X-Men on this list at number 76. And I like this better than Next Gen. I like this a lot better than Next Gen. Um, I like this better than the all-new X-Men arc that we talked about before, which was at 47. I've got... I've, okay. We're, we're going to get into a section mm-hmm. that I like to call Modern Classics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. Uh, at number thirty nine, or well, is the New Mutants Inferno stuff. Uh, and mm. uh, number forty is Cable Past Fears, also by Herman Peralta. Yes. Uh, number thirty six is New Mutants Dead Souls. Uh, number thirty seven is X Men Grand Design, which is less of a good story and more of an accomplishment. Yes, interesting design conceit. Probably a little too high, but that's fine. <laughs> I've soured on just these things. I've soured on Ed Piscor a lot since that episode. That's okay. That's okay. Um, all right. I'm kind of torn here. I think, first of all, this is better than Cable 155 to 159, um, even though we we love that arc. Um, I, I, I have a page that I bought and I had to buy it because it's the one where Cable and Hope hug and it makes me sad every time because I love oh, it so much. So good. I um, do think this is... I think I know where I want this to go, but I want to, I want to listen to you. Okay. Uh, I am, I'm kind of hard-pressed to put it above the New Mutants Arc of Inferno, but I got to be honest, I've revisited Prisoner X much more um, and I, I have a lot of respect for it. <sighs> I would put All it. Right. I would put it personally right below, below Dead Souls. I would put it right below Dead Souls. Dead Souls. Dead Souls is really, really good. It uh, is really good. It's better than Grand Design. I mean, let's it's just better than Grand Design. It's better than Grand Design. I think we're agreeing that we probably put Grand Design too high on the list, um, but. I it, I agree Dead Souls is they're both stone cold classics. Yeah, they both are, are. This is a this is number 37 on the list. That's a pretty of all that's, the X-Men good, comics. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's pretty that's good. That's pretty darn good. That's number 37 Age of X-Men Prisoner X. Uh are we a little biased? Maybe. Who cares? It's our dang podcast. I I don't care. It's amazing. And if, if you are still out there and going, well, I could just skip it all and go right to Hawksbox. Don't. Don't. You are missing primo Age of X-Men content. And this is the the prime example of that. Go back and read this mini. Um, yeah. You don't really need to know much about Age of X-Men as an event to like understand it. Just yeah. go read it. Here's the thing. Age of X-Men is made up of six books four of mm, three of them are really good one of them is pretty good two of them you can probably skip but 
We'll let you decide which ones we're talking about there. Yes, I like that. Very savvy. You can probably you can probably skip Apocalypse and the Extracts, and you can probably skip the Amazing Nightcrawler, even though that makes me sad. That's okay. Still both very interesting books on their own rights, um, but I, I would agree, just in terms of, you know, quality ranking. It's tough, uh, Comps. Hey, we ranked, we ranked our three stories for the episode. Can we be done? Yes, and may I just say that uh, please, let's have more representation. Let's have more uh, diverse creators on the books. And that way, you know, when it comes time to do a theme like this, it's not like we're looking high and low it's it's we want this to be uh more of a regular thing absolutely uh so do want to thank patreon supporter Saad Althani. Saad went over to patreon.com slash battle the atom and he said guys i really like your show i really want to support what you guys are doing and i'm going to do this the only way i know how with stone cold hard cash money baby cha-ching Dollar dollar bills, y'all. That cash money lets us continue to do this podcast and like pays for stuff. Uh, it also ends up just getting reinvested into the Xavier Files media empire. Uh, but that's with my own choice. That is not income that is coming from the Xavier Files media empire directly uh, for very legal tax reasons. Uh, if you're a lawyer, shut up. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, if you guys want to be like him, Y'all can just, uh, you can all just go over to that Patreon. There's different tiers. Uh, for two bucks, you get an episode built around you. For five bucks, you get early access to the show. And you get uh, to suggest even more extra stuff. And there's higher tiers than that if you are feeling spendy. Um, and if you're not, leave us a rating or review. Or the most helpful thing you can do, the most helpful thing you can do is tell your friends. Mm -hmm. about this podcast say like hey you like x-men you like sounds going into your ears have i got the <laughs> second best x-men podcast for you and then you can give them us i love it i love it uh where can people find you online zach nowhere but they can go to xavierfiles.com uh to see all the latest and greatest sword content uh you can see notes uh comment cards from the green lagoon which is the bar oh my uh, god that the freaking I love that so much. Emily, you did such a great job. Emily Harding. I want more. I want more incredible of thing. It was so good. I love it so much. Uh, there's a lot of really good content on that, that particular webpage that I'm pretty happy with. Uh, so go check that out. And, and it's on Twitter at Xavier files. Hey, Adam, what's up? Hey guys. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. I am currently in the middle of doing inktober, which I, I don't think I did last year because uh, I, I was busy remember. wrapping up Bish and Jubes. But this year I'm doing I'm trying to do every single uh, Ten of Swords uh, fighter. And then obviously there's only 20 of those. So uh, we'll see what surprises are in store for the last 11 days. So uh, check that out. Uh, what are we talking about next week, Zach? Hear me, Adam. No longer are we the podcast you once knew. We are fire and life incarnate, now and forever. We are Phoenix. We're talking about Phoenix. We're talking <laughs> about Phoenix stuff. Stuff about the Phoenix. You know, the Phoenix, the magical space bird that has a fighting tournament uh, to decide who from the Avengers is going to be its next host. Oh, God. 
we're not talking about that though so uh, no because that's not come out yet we don't know if it's good or bad uh but jason aaron's track record on avengers speaks for itself Mm. uh we're going to talk about other phoenix based stories um they also may not be very good we'll have to see but find out until then this has been battle the atom and we hope you survived the experience get it